Good morning. How are you guys? This morning we'd like to open up with a scripture reading. If you want to look in your, your Bible or on your electronic device, we'll be reading this morning from Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, beginning with verse 1. Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all the statutes and his commandments, which I commanded you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord your God of your fathers has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them together as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. I hope this morning from just that reading that you will begin to, under, begin to understand the importance of God's laws and how they apply to our lives and how seriously we're supposed to take these things that, that sometimes I think we've lost a little bit of grasp of that. But let's, let's pray about that this morning. Our Father, we thank you. We thank you for all you've done for us. We thank you for sending your son to, to die for us on the cross, Lord. We thank you for these laws and these statutes, these rules, these things, Lord, that you have have put before us, God, that we we might know how to live lives here on earth, God, and just pray this morning that we will we will begin to begin to realize your holiness and that those laws are something that, Lord, you set forth for us for our own good, Lord, and that sometimes as a society, God, we let our opinions mean more than your laws, Lord, and we just pray this morning that you'll you'll burden our hearts with this fact, Lord, and you'll help us to understand what these laws mean in our lives. We just pray all these things in your name. Amen. Well, good morning. It's good to have you here. And if you're in Kidmo, you can head on out. If you're a guest, you have a second through fifth grader, you're welcome to see where they're headed. We're sparse this morning, um, but we're glad that you are here with us. Uh, We're going to begin talking about the Ten Commandments. And you didn't know that, or you might not have come this morning, right? Uh, It's one of our top ten most exciting topics to talk about in the church. Uh, last week we started with the tabernacle and if we were honestly going to go in order of the symbols that are laid out in the old Testament and new, uh, of how they were given to us, we would have done this before we did the tabernacle. But I wanted to do the tabernacle first because our understanding of the tabernacle changes the way we understand the 10 commandments. And then what we're going to dive into a little deeper is understanding the law, the Deuteronomical and Levitical codes Today, now that Jesus is here, what does that look like? And there are many that would just simply say, well, we just don't even talk about them anymore. We just, they're gone. They're over. It's done. And the truth is that that is not the way that Jesus talks about it. That's not the way that Scripture talks about it. And so we have to come to a deeper understanding of what God is teaching us through the Old Testament and through the New Testament. The whole purpose of our series on symbols is to understand that there are some things so crucial and important to God that he gives us a symbol to remember them. The first one we looked at was the rainbow. 
And remember, the rainbow was God placing his war bow in the sky. He was no longer going to come after us and wipe out all humanity. It was the beginning of a process of restoration back to what he had intended in the garden. You remember we talked a couple of weeks ago about Athanasius and the way that Athanasius demonstrates what it looks like to know and be reconciled to God is is similar to understanding the world and that it has become corrupted. And what God has been doing from, from that moment on is to try to bring us back from the corrupted to the incorruptible. Last week we talked about the tabernacle and we looked at the tabernacle and the temple and then us today... Because much of the teaching of Jesus and much of the teaching of Scripture is about our relationship with God and that He wants to be with us. The tabernacle was that moment in which God came and He was with the nation of Israel after He delivered them out of Egypt. And when they built their tabernacle, wherever they would go, they would pitch their tent And this is where God's house literally was. This is where God's presence was. And then that would go on into the later parts of the Old Testament in which they were founded in Jerusalem and a temple was built as a permanent place, a temple that still stands and a place where Jews today still believe God resides in that holy of holies at the temple. But yet Jesus changed the way he wanted us to understand God's presence because he said that I am going to go away and a helper is going to come, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God who is living in you. You are now the temple of the living God. And so now God's presence has moved from God somewhere far and distant to God among us in the tabernacle in the temple to God within us. And so the point for what God has been doing has been to restore us to that place before sin happened. The tabernacle had lots of imagery that mimicked the Garden of Eden. And so even the imagery of the tabernacle points to the place where God is trying to bring us back to where we were before sin entered. Ten Commandments, if we don't understand the Ten Commandments or the law in general, because there's more than ten in the Old Testament, if we don't understand the law in the same context, we will miss what God is saying. So we're going to jump in. I I just want you to know we're going to be knee-deep in Scripture today, maybe neck-deep, I don't know. I've got a lot to share with you. And the reason I, 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 I throw so much Scripture at you on a Sunday morning is because one of the, the things I'm just convicted of is we have to know God's Word. If we are not regularly in God's Word, hearing it and letting it work within us, how can we possibly experience the presence of Christ around us? And so my hope is, is that as we go through this, some of, for some of you, you're going to listen to what I say and you're going you're gonna to push back and you're going to push back hard. Because some of what I'm going to share, while it's not heretical... Some of what I'm going to share may be different than what you have heard before. And so I would encourage you, if at the end of what I talk with you about today is different from what I share, then you need to bring Scripture to the table and argue with me about it. Now understand, I love a good argument, especially when I win. But even when I lose, right? You do too. But if you can back up with Scripture what you believe God is saying to you, then I will always be glad to say I was wrong. But I'm I'm going to throw a ton at you today. And this is a way that many people that follow Jesus and know Him 
view Scripture, but it has been so misused and abused that there's going to be something within you that is going to push back. So I'm just telling you up front, you need to pay attention. We, we, need, to hit some, some, we need to hit a lot of stuff together. And even then, it is the Holy Spirit that makes this stuff come alive and tells us this is real or this is not. This is true or this is false. I believe what we're going to talk about today is true, and I'm going to use a lot of words of Jesus and a lot of words of Paul to demonstrate that. All right? So when we look at the law, you need to understand that the law is understood in different contexts within the Old Testament. Some very fun light reading you can do is through Deuteronomy and Leviticus. It's a lot of really fun stuff, but actually, if you will commit to studying the Old Testament law, you will come upon the heart of God in which you never knew was possible within those books. Because what the law will demonstrate to you is the heart of God for his people. Now, what we're going to discover is that the law has been so abused and used in order to control other people that the law over time began to be used to bludgeon you, to make you feel guilty, to shame you, to say you're not good enough. Now get in line and follow my leadership. In fact, that's much of what Jesus said to the Pharisees whenever he said, you know, you get the law, but you completely miss it. They were so focused on the law, and sometimes people today still are, that they wanted other people to look at them and go, man, they are good at the law. And that is not the point. That is not why Jesus gave this to Moses. It's not why Moses passed it on to the nation of Israel and then on to us. And it's not why Jesus came, that we're going to use rules in order to bludgeon you into submission. Now, the reason that religious leaders did this is because there was something in it for them. (laughs) There was power, there was control, there was glory, and there was money. Whenever you give, they take the law and you give it to someone and say, you know what, you can make a lot of money doing this. It's going to be misused. This is not the way Jesus used the law. This is not the way that we are to understand God's working within us. So stick with me. We're going to go through this. Understand the law is mentioned in many different ways, good and bad in Scripture. But the law taught the nation of Israel to know three things. The heart of God, how to be blessed by God, and how to overcome generations of slavery. Now, when you go through and you look at the law... There are 613 laws in the Old Testament. We talk about 10 of them in the, in the Ten Commandments. And does anybody remember what the first law is? Law number one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. We hear that again somewhere else in Scripture. I can't remember where. But we hear that again. It's going to come back. So you might want to look it up and find out where that is and where that's talked about. You know, a lot of times when we talk about the New Testament versus the Old Testament, we talk about the New Testament being the gospel of law and grace and mercy. But the Old Testament is also a gospel of love and grace and mercy. But do you feel that way? See, depending on how you came up in church, you may not. The law is rigid. The law is hard. The law is convicting The law makes us feel like failures. Is this the point that God was trying to make? That we should love him while we ourselves feel destroyed, disparaging, discouraged? The law was brought for them for three things. I want you to remember that as we looked kind of at the timeline of when the tabernacle came in, the tabernacle, the, the 
instructions for the tabernacle, the, the law, and the first five books of the Ten Commandments were all given to Moses when? You remember? I know you slept since then, Mount Sinai. All at the same place. When Moses goes to see God, and God, hey, Moses has this experience where his, his face is just shining because he's overwhelmed with the presence of God. He receives these three things. The first five books of the Old Testament, the, the instructions for the tabernacle, and the law. And his purpose in giving him to this was for a group of people that had been enslaved for hundreds of years. Now, it's hard for us to put ourselves in that position. But remember, as they came to Egypt, they came to Egypt originally because they were hungry. There was a famine in the land. Egypt had food and it had resources. And that was because Joseph was there overseeing it. He had a vision that this famine was coming. And he told the Pharaoh, you need to store up stuff and be prepared for this. And through that process, what's so interesting, we'll go look at this another time, but I just find it fascinating. The, Egypt rose to power because of this famine. <laughs> Because what you're going to find is people kept coming to Egypt. They're like, well, we're hungry. Well, I'll sell you grain. We don't have anything to trade with. Well, I'll tell you what. We'll just take your land. So you give your land to us. You get to live there and work it. And we'll give you grain. And so when the famine was over, not only did the people live, but Egypt held all the property. It's kind of like a reverse mortgage today, right? You get something but the bank now owns your house. They're going to get it. Egypt comes to power, and when Joseph passes away, hundreds of years go by, and he's forgotten, and they are enslaved. They have grown massively, and they have been enslaved. In fact, then as Moses comes into the picture, and he is talking to Pharaoh and saying, you've got to let these people go, he makes it harder on them. They're making bricks every single day, and then he begins to take away their resources, so making bricks becomes even harder. Their lives are hard. They go out into the desert. They're finally gone. They're out of Egypt. And this beautiful story of God redeeming them, pulling them out, rescuing them by parting the sea so they could walk through. Another three months go by as they wander in the desert before Moses goes up to Mount Sinai. And in that time, they are just worshiping God. They're just thankful to be gone. But can you put yourself in a position to understand how do they now function as a society when they have had to do what their captors have told them to do for the last 400 years? So much of the law was not just for us to understand holiness and justice and what does it look like to follow God and how do we get blessed by God, but it was literally how do you interact with each other when you're not used to interacting with each other? How do you govern yourselves? How do you take care of each other? So as we look at that, we understand that the law was given by God for many purposes, not just one. You go through, if you want to do kind of an exhaustive study of, of these, you're going to find that, oh, about a little less than a half are going to be positive laws. Do good things. You know, these are good things. This is what I want you to do. And, and over half, almost two-thirds, are the don'ts. Those are the ones we remember, right? Those are the ones we pull out. Like, if you're not doing something you're supposed to be doing, we like to pull out the don'ts to prove you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Three aspects of the law that we find as we look through this is, we'll talk about this in more depth another time. 
three aspects of the law that you're going to find if you really get into the law. I don't want you, this is not crucial for today, but I just want you to file this away some in your brain to think about later. Number one, he gave this to them to ask, what is helpful? What is helpful? We're going to come back to that question in a few minutes. What is helpful? And I want you to understand that in the context of what is helpful as if we were still in the Garden of Eden. Because as we look at God's presence returning through the tabernacle of the temple and then to us, God is bringing us back to restoration from what is corrupted to what is incorruptible. Similarly, the law is given to us to be helpful to us, for us to understand if God is trying to bring us back to a place of restoration, what does that place of restoration look like? How do we act? How do we talk? How do we deal with each other? What happens if we have a problem? What is helpful? Especially if we were still in Eden, how do we live as if sin had not entered into the world? A second aspect of the law is what does bring condemnation? Like what brings judgment? What, what, what's going to get us in the end whenever we stand before God and he judges us, whether we are going to be pure or not, whether we're going to be holy or not, whether we're going to be with him forever or not. There, there are laws that basically say this is, this is how you follow and this is how to avoid judgment or to be atoned for your sin. The third aspect of the law that you need to remember that is crucial in our conversation we're going to have about the Old Testament versus the New is that some of the laws were there just to demonstrate you were a set-apart people from someone else. Circumcision being one. Circumcision in and of itself has no spiritual value as if that simple act unleashes the Holy Spirit within your life. Similarly, dietary laws. Many of the dietary laws said you only eat these kinds of foods because the others are unclean. You will be unclean if you eat these types of foods Then we find in the New Testament, Peter's exchange with Cornelius, in which Peter has a dream and this, you know, big, for me, in my mind, this big, you know, picnic tablecloth, this red checkered tablecloth comes out from this guy. I don't know how you read that scripture, but that's how I read it. And there's like this big picnic basket spread on it, right, of all the foods you weren't supposed to eat. But in that dream, God says to Peter, dietary laws are no longer a thing because you don't need to separate yourselves from others. You are now set apart in different ways. You are not set apart by the things that you eat. You're not set aside by your circumcision. You're not set aside by men growing their hair down to show that they are adhering to the law or wearing tassels to say that I am committed to following the law There were some laws that were there just to set you apart from the other nations because what God was trying to show in that portion of history is that when you are part of my family, I am with you. So some of the laws that we look at that someone may say, well, we just don't have to follow the law anymore. Some of them we don't because we aren't set apart in that way anymore. We're set apart in other ways in the New Testament. We're set apart because the Holy Spirit lives within us. We set apart, we're set apart by the way we love each other, or we're supposed to be, and the way we love other people. Not by our physical appearance, not by the things that we eat. Some of those laws were simply that. And over time, this law became corrupted. It began to be used for something other than to restore us to understanding what life would have been like had sin not entered the world, but instead begins to be used to control. 
We jump to the New Testament and we find that the fulfillment of this law is Jesus. And in 99% of sermons on the law, this is where the sermon ends. (laughs) Jesus fulfills the law. We're no longer under the law. We're under what? You've heard that sermon. Yeah, more than once. We're under grace. We're not under the law. The law is not something we have to worry about. In fact, what would be interesting to know is how many people in this room have read through the Old Testament. Um, Raise your hand. No, I'm just kidding. Don't raise your hand. (laughs) Some of you have. I did. I did it. It was terrible, but I did it. You know, (laughs) that was boring. When you go through the Old Testament, it will reveal to you a side of God that is still consistently God and makes the things in the New Testament make more sense. Whenever we just go to the New Testament, we're missing a whole piece of the story of God. And the New Testament is a fulfillment of all God had meant to do, which is why so many Christians today still don't understand what God meant to do. Because they don't understand what God's been doing all along. Now, what's interesting is, is on average, depending on who you read and, and who does statistics, most people don't read any of the Bible, so I didn't read the Old Testament, I didn't read the New Testament either. And the reality is, if that's the, if that's the life you're living as a follower of Jesus, you can't be following Jesus. It's impossible. You cannot follow Jesus and not know what Jesus is saying. So as we come to this understanding of the Ten Commandments, I want you to see that this is way bigger than a set of rules to tell people they're bad people. This is not the purpose of the law or the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament. And this is why Jesus is going to say later, I am not doing away with this. I am fulfilling it. In other words, I am not telling you not to follow the law anymore. I'm showing you what it looks like when you do. And what we'll find is that that always looks the same way when described in Scripture. When you follow the law... You will do two things. Guess what they are? You will love God, and you will love people. Now, the problem with the way many of us grew up understanding the law is that we believe that the very act of us agreeing that the law is a thing denies that we're going to love somebody. This is the problem. This is how the enemy has so twisted what God has done in the Old Testament and so confused us and why we ignore the Old Testament. Because whenever we talk about the the, the Ten Commandments, whenever we talk about posting them somewhere or putting a statue somewhere, it's generally not in the act of love, is it? You will not deny my faith. I will put these Ten Commandments in a public place. That's often how we see it. Now, not so much... As we did several years ago, I think the, the battle of the Ten Commandments has finally been given up, at least for now. But what God is intending for us to understand with the law is that God is still trying to restore us. And there are, there's a process for restoration. We call this sanctification. And the process for rest, restoration is we are baptized in the family of God. We receive the Holy Spirit. The Spirit makes these things make sense within our lives. And then we struggle still with sin until the day that either Jesus returns or we die and get to go with him. And in that moment, then we are in our final period of purification in which we will see clearly again. 
We will live clearly as we would have had sin never entered the world. We will be with God. We will experience what his intention when he created us to be like him. We will experience that fully and wholly, even though right now we just experience it in a confusing way at times. In other words, it's like looking at ourselves in a mirror dimly lit. So as we understand the law, it, we need to change the way we approach it. We need to change the way that we see it. In Romans chapter 8, here we go. We're gonna, let's jump in here. That was my introduction. I hope you didn't have plans this afternoon, all right? <laughs> Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I love this verse. I can't do anything wrong. I tell Deidre that all the time. She doesn't believe it. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. Now, this is a beautiful passage and one that we need to embrace and we need to understand that we, through the blood of Jesus Christ, are no longer condemned by the law. I I am thankful for that because I don't know about you, I still struggle with sin. For anyone who believes or teaches that you will not struggle with sin if you are following Jesus, they do not, they've not read the Bible. Because you are going to struggle with it. Even Paul says, man, I'm beating myself black and blue. I'm just to... Make sure that I am staying consistent with this gospel that I'm teaching. And it's one of our hopes that this is the thing that will eventually pass away. But yet we cannot ignore the reality that something changed when Jesus came. To say that it didn't and we need to follow the law and all of a sudden now we all need to, you know, we need to be following all the rules of the Old Testament. That that is not what I am saying. There are many things that changed, but there are many things that didn't. So the question is, with Jesus, did the purpose of the law change with him? Does the law become void because of the cross? And I don't know what the official answer is for people, but I would say more than half of all believers today would say, yes, it ends. It's over. There's no need for us to look at it again. We're under the law of grace, not under the law of sin and death. The reality is that the law demonstrates the difference between our natural inclinations and how God created us to live. I want you to sit here and think about this. You let this sink in. The law demonstrates the difference between our natural inclinations, those things, that thing that just our our natural spirits will lead after that, that living in the flesh. I'm just naturally not going to do the things that God would do. I'm going to do the things that Mark would do. And the things that Mark would do are different than the things that God would do. And we read passages in Scripture that say things like, There are none that are good. No, not one. <laughs> For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all guilty of this. It demonstrates the difference between our natural inclinations and how God created us to live. I want to return to the idea that God did not create us to live like this. 
God created us to live a better way. And I don't mean that we will be more intentional about our behavior. I mean, God intended for us to live the way of joy, of peace, of patience, of goodness, of holiness. You got a question? No. Oh. We're, we're coming there. Hang with me. Hang with me. All right. Thank you, brother. I'll do it. I want you to understand, though, in the Old Testament, this is what the law did. It helped us to see there's a difference in the way we live our lives and the way that God would have us live our lives. Romans 3.20 says, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. This is probably the number one way people understand the law. And it is true that the law helps us to know what sin is. We understand that a little better in Romans 7, 7, when it says, what shall we say that the law is sin? Well, by no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. So there is a place for the law that it is teaching us, and it is teaching us the way that God wants us to live this life and the way he intended for us to live there from the beginning. Now, there's a very different understanding in coming up to someone and said, you should not covet and not coveting. Do you know anybody who covets that's happy? I don't. Because people who covet aren't happy with what they have. People who covet are, are, will only be happy if they get something else. And this is one of the things we've talked about, about the law already. When we look at the law, rather than it being this test whether we get into heaven or not, the law is literally meant to make your life better, not worse. When you look at somebody who doesn't love, do you want to mimic their lives? Well, that's sometimes a hard thing to answer, but how about this? When you look at somebody who loves well, do you want to mimic theirs? Someone who steals. Do you want to mimic the life of a person who steals? Is it full? Full of joy? Happiness? Being filled? Being complete? No. I need it. I'm going to take it. See, when we look at the law, we begin to understand the law. We, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to, we're not going to hope for things that aren't ours. We're not going to need things outside of God to make us feel fulfilled within life. We're, it changes the way we understand the law. So, coming to Andrew's question, did Jesus abolish the need? To follow the law. Ephesians chapter 2. This is Paul again. Paul gives us more information about this. Though we're going to look at some of Jesus' words too. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 14. For he himself is our peace. Who has made us both one. And has broken down in his flesh. The dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments. Expressed in ordinances. That he make, might. Excuse me. That he might create in himself. One new man in place of the two. So making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Jesus is changing something here. 
He's bringing us to a place of peace in the hostility that we have with God. Remember, we are at war with God, if not for Christ. And he's changing that. We look at the story of Peter and Cornelius. The story of Peter and Cornelius is is the story of of the eating in which Cornelius has a dream. And God says, I I want you to meet with Peter. And Peter's like, you know, I can't meet with a Gentile. If you look at the first century of the church, in the first century of the church, the gospel did not immediately go out to Jews and Gentiles. It was only for the Jews. This was a defining moment between Paul's teaching and Paul's calling the, the church to embrace those outside of the Jewish culture. And this dream, this is where the gospel then goes out to all the rest of the world. And Peter has this dream. And the law changes, at least that one. Then we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, and it says this. All things are lawful. Oh, we love this verse. But not all things are helpful. Well, it changes things. See, there's a push that says now, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, there is nothing wrong. There's no sin for a believer. You can literally kill somebody, and it's okay. You can covet, and it's okay. You can steal, and it's okay. You can blaspheme, and it's okay. Because sin's just done away with. All things are lawful. What Paul's going on is that we need to spend some time is that but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. In other words, if they put something in front of you that a Jew typically would not eat, just go ahead and eat and don't worry about it. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice... Then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. So, in other words, though, if somebody else you're eating with looks around and says, yeah, but the law says that we can't eat something that's been sacrificed, well, then don't eat it. Well, so when you look at Paul and you say, well, which is it? Do you eat? Do you not eat? And Paul is trying to elevate the conversation to say, well, it's neither one. What is helpful? What is best? What leads to the reality that what God is pushing us to is to love your neighbor and to love God? How do we get there when we look at the people we're with and say, you know what? For you, in order for me to help you, I will change in the way that I respond to this meal. For you, in order to help you, I'm going to change in the way that I respond to this meal because I want to be helpful for you. Paul is one of the great teachers in this concept and saying, I have, will do whatever I have to do. I can be wealthy. I can be poor. I can be doing great and I can be doing terribly. But I will become what I need to become so that you can see Christ. Because what he is saying is, you know, the value is not that he's a chameleon. The value is in the fact that he sees and he loves others. And he becomes what they need for them to experience the fullness of Christ. Because that is the treasure that the scripture speaks of. Someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice. Don't eat it for the sake of the one who informs you. And for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but this. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of, what, of that for which I give thanks? 
So whatever you eat or drink, wherever you, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. And then he goes on to say, be imitators of me as I am of Christ, which should be an unspoken, but what I as well am calling us to this morning, be imitators of Christ. Because Christ had a way of doing these things and them not being offensive. He had a way of following the law. And except for religious leaders who were just pushing back against everything Jesus did, people did not feel judged by him. It's an amazing way that Jesus lived his life. It was an amazing way that he lived following all of the all of the laws of the Old Testament and yet creating a new way for us to experience God more fully. See, all the things that every other Jew would have done, Jesus would have done because he was observing the law as it was given. But he was changing that. It leads us to this question, and you're going to struggle with this question if you're a serious follower of Jesus for the rest of your life, and that is this. What is lawful versus what is helpful? See, a lot of us can come to the law and say, well, Jesus has changed all that. I am no longer condemned because of my sin. Well, you would be correct. But does that mean we just go on as if it doesn't matter now? That's the way a lot of people live their lives. Now, we've seen some bad examples. Legalism is a different gospel than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Legalism says you are saved by following the law. It is the gospel of works in which many in the New Testament push back and say, this is not about works. James goes so far then to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're saying it so much. People are going to misunderstand. He's saying, but you know, you will see my faith demonstrated by my work. So it's not that you don't ever do works. It's just that your works aren't the point. They're what happens because you're following Jesus. But I see so many people today and they just push back from everything, any expectation within Scripture at all, saying it's all grace now. It's all mercy now. Yes, it is grace. Yes, it is mercy. But there's a difference in someone who says, listen, it's all grace. And someone who says, I am following Jesus, so I will follow him in whatever way he calls me. There's a difference there. When we look at the symbol of the Old Testament, the symbol or symbol of the Ten Commandments, the symbol of the Ten Commandments should not be burned in our minds as in that thing we do to please God. But it also should not be that thing in our minds that, whoo, I'm glad we don't have to worry about those anymore. They're gone. Praise the Lord. What is lawful versus what is helpful? Before Christ, if you sinned, you had to atone for your sin. It was generally a sacrifice of something that you had, and, ever, and you would give it up, and it had to be unblemished. I believe one of the purposes for just the gruesome way that sin was atoned for in the Old and New Testament was to show us just how terrible and ugly sin is. The atonement itself was ugly because the sin was ugly. The punishment for that sin was ugly. So I believe that's why so much was involved that was so gruesome was just to remind us this is not just a way of living life. We're talking about the difference between life and death here. This is crucial to understand. After Christ, when we look at 
what Scripture tells us. Jesus is our atonement. But sin still has consequences, doesn't it? Like, if I go out and run over my coworker because he's been a real jerk and kill him, I can't just go up in court and say, listen, I've been purchased by the blood of Jesus. All right, case dismissed. <laughs> Another one of those Jesus people. He can do whatever he wants. Law can't touch him. That's funny, right? But what about envy and covetousness? What about lying? What about arrogance? They're all just as deadly. But somehow we make way for them and then our theology that says it's okay to live this life. It's not as deadly as something like murder or fill in the blank for whatever your ter- most, five most terrible sins are. The reality is, is he's calling us to something else. And when we ignore the law, then basically what we are saying is, God doesn't care anymore how I live my life. Now remember, you have to go back and understand the law that it was given for many different purposes. One of the purposes was to show that they were set apart. Through Jesus Christ, we no longer have to follow any of those laws because we are not set apart by that any longer. Additionally, a lot of laws were about purification rituals and rites. Things, the ways that you would purify yourself before God. We are made pure through the blood of Jesus Christ. We do not have to do those anymore. You do not have to you know, walk in and, and have this ceremonial basin to wash your hands and your feet in like you would have in the tabernacle. You don't have to do that anymore. If you do, okay. I mean, it's good to wash your hands and your feet. I'll just tell you right now. There's other, you know. In our house, we're, there's emphasis on your armpits too. That's a big one in our house. But it doesn't lead you to spiritual cleanliness. Jesus does that. So I want you to hear me clearly. Because the last thing I want to do is put a yoke of legalism on your backs. Because there's no, there's no hope in that. There's no life there. To simply post on our website, and maybe we put it up here on these back walls, all the rules that we think you should follow to be a good church member. That places a yoke on people's back that they are not going to be able to fulfill, and one that Jesus himself doesn't put on our backs. But at the same time, if we just say, I'm going to ignore it all. I don't need any, Jesus did it. I can do whatever I want. Listen, if your heart is not broken over the things that breaks God's heart, I question whether you know Jesus. Now, do you see how different those two things are? I recognize some people will not. I recognize that. But there's a difference in saying, now this is what you do to be good enough. Some of you have been in relationships when you've never been good enough. You know how this feels. And we just transfer to God that very same relationship when we think that God's only about the law. But there's something different that says God is good I want out of this corrupted world. I want to experience life as he intended, but I struggle that within me, I still do things that I wish I didn't do. 
Paul says it this way. I I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I want to do. I don't know about you, but that's my testimony too. There's something when you know Jesus and you follow him and you say, oh, Jesus, I just, I want to get it all. I don't want just a little piece. I don't want to just sneak my way into heaven. I want you now and I want the whole package. So when we begin to experience that, And we look at the teachings of the Old Testament. There are some that we do away with because their purpose has been fulfilled. But there are some that are still pointing us to the way that God has called us to live. It will take the Holy Spirit at times for us to understand the difference. One of the questions we can struggle with is, should we still keep the commandment, you shall not murder? What if we didn't? What if we in the church said, it's okay, the law's done? What would happen if murder was legal in the church? Would you come? Uh, There's some meetings as a pastor in uh, churches past, I wouldn't have gone for more than one reason, right? I might not be walking out of there, and they may not be walking out of there either, right? I can do this. Law's gone. Jesus paid the blood. Yeah, I'm not talking about Scott. Now you're going to meddling. Now you're going to meddling. Yeah. Why not? You know, when we look at these laws and we just, and we truly try to understand them for the intent in which God gives them to us, then we begin to understand, listen, what he's encouraging us and calling us to is something bigger than just following some rules, just for rule's sake. It's actually leading us somewhere. Even if sin loses its power, it still has consequences. Romans 6, 14, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Galatians 5, 1, oh, I love this. This is one of my favorite verses. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Stand firm and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. In other words, you can submit again to a yoke of slavery is what Paul's saying. Don't submit yourselves to being controlled by sin again. Romans 3.31, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? This is a question I'm asking. By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. And by the way, Romans is in the New Testament. Just make sure we're all on the same page. Paul's saying we uphold the law. Now, if you're like me, there are places in Scripture where I'm just like, could you all just be a little more clear? Could you just, you know, let's just, you know, get this to where this isn't so confusing. This is why we dig deep. This is why we go far. This is why we try to understand this. Jesus himself had no intention of removing our desire to keep God's law. Matthew five seventeen and 18. Do you think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets? This is Jesus, by the way. Now we're on the big man, you know, the thing. Oh, I don't listen to Paul. I listen to Jesus. Don't think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. We got to soak that in, some of us. Jesus is saying, oh, no, 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 no. The law's not gone. 
but the way you understand it changes. Romans 6, 15 and 18 says, what then are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Like, you know, no more law, so I can do what I want. By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. He's talking about the teachings of Scripture, which they did not, he was not talking about the New Testament, because they were writing the New Testament, Right? The law was always meant to point us back to a time before sin reigned in the world. Always. Always. When anytime it's used to shame, to control, or to profit off of others, it is a corruption of the gospel of Christ. Anytime it is. The law was always meant to point us back to a time before sin reigned in the world. The law of Moses and the commands of Jesus all point to the same goal. And this is where I want us to wrap up today. To love like God. So Andrew, here you go. All right. Very good. Very good. Thank you. Romans 13 says this. Oh, to one, excuse me. Oh, no one, anything except to love each other for the one who loves another was, has fulfilled the law. Let that sink in. I want you to think right now about somebody that you don't love. (laughs) You don't name them. Don't point to them and don't elbow them right now. Okay. Someone you don't love right now, do you realize that if you get everything I'm saying, that what that looks like is you loving that person? If you get the whole Old Testament law, if you get it, I mean you get it, it expresses itself in love. The fact that we have used it to express shame and guilt to people. I'm not saying the, that sin and, and understanding the law doesn't bring us uh, guilt. That's what leads us to repentance. But when we get it and we live it out, it demonstrates itself in love. That's what it looks like. Now, as I've said before, this is a broader conversation about what love is because love is very subjective. For an abuser, love means staying. Right? But for the person being abused, that is not what love looks like. Right? To the addict, love means get me my next fix. But the person who's watching somebody destroy themselves does not look at them and call that love. Love is so subjective, we cannot just take our culture's definition of love and apply it to Jesus. We begin to look at the whole law. The whole law begins to express itself and what it means to actually love people. This is what we as the church today have to reclaim in the way that we live our lives. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. All right. I thought I was going to wrap up, but I've got like three more pages of notes. Not really, but I do have a lot more notes. 
And I don't want to continue next week. All right, let me see. Let me see what I want to finish up with. Yep, nope, I can do this. I don't want to leave anything out. We can only fulfill the law of love through faith in Christ. This is another conversation we need to have another time. But what, what Paul goes on to say in Romans, but what we also read about from Jesus in Matthew 5, is that the only way for us to truly love this way is if we have faith in, is to have faith in Christ. There is a component here that we need to have another conversation about, about faith expressing itself in love. Understanding the law in the context of our faith in Christ is what propels us to love others. This is the condemnation that Paul gives in Romans 9. What shall we say? That Gentiles who do not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as it were based on works. What he means by this is, we do what God says, it rains. We don't do what God says, it doesn't rain, we get conquered, shipped off. That is different by living a life of faith in Christ or in God. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Matthew 5, I'm not going to read. I'm not going to read this, Jake. But we have an interesting place. You need to go back and read Matthew 5, 13 and 20 this week. Matthew 5, 13 through 16 is the passage that you already know about salt and light. You will be salt and light within the world. That light, as you, I hope, at least through last week, you understand the light that shines out of you is the Holy Spirit. Right? It's not you. That light, like Moses, shined because of the presence of God that he was with. Your light should be out there shining. God that should be shining through you out into this world. And then Jesus says in, in verse 17, Don't think I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So in your being light, that does not mean we ignore the law. Verse 20, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. All right. This is, I promise, this is what I'm, gonna, I'm ending on. So my, Babylon B, you know, the bane of my life. Said that preachers say this all the time. And then they don't end. Totally guilty. Totally guilty. They got me nailed. This is what I want to end with. This is not an easy topic. It's not an easy one to, to teach, for sure. The easy way to teach it is just to say, here you go, here it is, go do it. That's the easy way. But that is not what Jesus intended for us. Jesus always intended for this to be a collaboration between us and him, living it out and thereby showing him to other people. So yes, there's a component of I read things and, you know, there, some of the law is great. Like, if you've got a hole in your yard and your neighbor's donkey falls in it and dies, buy him a new donkey. That's like a law, okay? That's a law. That's one of those laws that say, okay, this is how you live with people. <laughs> there are a ton of those. Like, if you accidentally hurt somebody, 
then do this. You intentionally hurt somebody, this is what's going to happen to you. If you go back and really look at the law, it's really amazing what, he, what he's showing us. When we get what Jesus is saying, it does look like love for other people, but we are going to have to define love as Jesus defines love, not as our culture defines love. Our culture defines love as anything that doesn't hurt me or offend me or make me sad. There are a lot of things in this world that will hurt you and offend you and make you sad, but somebody needs there to stand between you and it. And that doesn't feel loving within our cultural definition of love. We've got to have a better definition of love. You've got to come to that place and understand what God is calling you to in these issues. Today, we've got all kinds of issues out there. We've got all kinds of issues that we can get upset about and angry about, and we can call people out on and say, God doesn't love you. God doesn't believe that. You're bad because you said that or you did that. That is not the way of Christ. Go back and look at the way Jesus ministered to people. That's not how he did it. But we do have to understand how living by following the teachings of God in the old and new lead us to fulfilling what Jesus came for us to experience. And when we do that, when we find the benefit of following the law and then we rejoice in the law of God, because remember, it is still helpful. It is still helpful. Remember, there's a difference between that which is lawful and that which is helpful. Go for what is helpful. Psalm 19 says this, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them, as your servant warned, in keeping them, there is great reward. Then and now. So as we close this up, let me reiterate. You may, you may push back on some of what I've just said, and I get it. There was a time I would have pushed back on what I just said. A lot of it depends on your reading of Scripture, depends on your upbringing within the church, what you've been taught, what you've believed. I want to encourage you to go find the answer for yourself. The Holy Spirit's within you. The Holy Spirit opens God's Word to you. Let the Holy Spirit show you the truth. I want to encourage you to experience freedom as Jesus talks about freedom. I want you to remember that what he is doing, this whole process, which will be finished when Jesus returns, is trying to restore us, return us to the place in which he originally created us, to be with him, to be like him, to walk with him, 
to see him and talk with him where there is no pain and there is no sorrow and there is no covetousness. There is no envy. There is no fear. There is no hurt. That's what he's drawing us to. And and he's still working. The day is coming when Jesus will return and this world, this heaven and this earth will be done away with and a new heaven and a new earth is coming. Until that day, we remember the symbols that he's given us because they still have power and meaning for us. And in this, let us be faithful to follow his word. Let us us have discernment to know which of the law he has done away with and which he says this is still good and right and the way to live your life. Let us go out of this place with people who are different from us and whether, rather than taking our Bible out like a, like a weapon ready to beat them over the head because they don't believe what we do, let us let the law do its work in us so that we will love as Jesus loved. Because the law, when it's fulfilled, looks like love. Let our understanding of the law change so that it can embrace the reality that the law leads to love, not to something else. But let us also wonder at just the joy that Jesus has given us because He came incarnate to be with us, took our image, took our punishment, and became the atonement for our sin so that we could experience this fully. Father, God, this is, uh, gosh, this is such a hard, this is such a hard thing to understand and to, to walk through, especially in our current culture. When at times it feels like your precepts and your principles are under attack, and other times it just feels so good to lash out and tell somebody how bad they are. God, that's not your way. That's not the way that you have called us to live. I pray that we within this room walk out of this, out of these walls. And Father, that we would demonstrate what it looks like to fulfill the law that leads to loving you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. And that we will also love others. Father, lead us to do that well. I pray for those in the room and they have come through a system where the law has been used as a weapon. And they just need healing. Father, I pray that your grace and your mercy would just overwhelm them. Just this feeling of, oh God, it's so good and gracious. He has forgiven my sin and Sin's consequences are no longer held against me. I pray for great wisdom between that which is lawful and that which is helpful. That we would pursue that which is helpful. That which is helpful for others. That which is helpful for us. And give us wisdom to know what that is. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.